You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. This is episode number 27. Every time I do an intro and I say what number episode it is, I am shocked that we're already this far. Um, Thank you for coming along um, on the journey and thanks for putting up with my dogs in the background sometimes or my AirPods. The quality sometimes is not great and so I'm trying. I'm aware of that and it bothers me. Just know that. Um, So I am trying to no longer use AirPods, but I just wanted to thank you for your support and for your love for every episode. I love the messages and the emails. I would genuinely appreciate if you would leave a review on Apple Podcast, just because it helps people find the show. I also really enjoy reading the reviews. I like to refresh it on Mondays and Thursdays because I just want to see what you guys have to say, what episodes you're liking or listening to. Um, This is a resource for you guys at the end of the day. So what you want to hear is what I want you to hear, if that makes any sense. Um, For those who are just tuning into this episode for the first time, please excuse this rambling intro. My name is Arden. Um, If you haven't heard my story or don't know who I am or don't know what the miscarriage doula is, you can go to episode number one. That's my entire story. And in a nutshell, in case you don't feel like going to episode one, I, after a year and a half of trying to conceive after an infertility diagnosis, we got pregnant only to miscarry. I went on to have two total losses. And between both losses, I experienced really traumatic births in the first trimester. I do have my rainbow baby and he is the reason why I pursued being a bereavement doula and a trauma support specialist. I quickly learned that rainbow babies don't heal or solve anything. I also learned along the way that not everyone gets their rainbow baby. So healing looks very different than I originally thought. I founded the miscarriage doula company in October, 2020 And I'm really proud of where we are now. We offer one-on-one support from only $35 a session. Our goal is to make miscarriage support affordable and accessible. I've said it from the beginning, but what I'm looking to do is just basically pay for the programs used and, you know, a little extra money to throw into putting together digital content and things like that. That's great. Um, But I'm not looking to make a bunch of money off of bereaved women because I've, I am a bereaved woman and I have been a newly bereaved woman. And I know what it's like to be thousands of dollars in debt. So my goal, especially through the podcast, through the Instagram page, through the free resources I do offer, I hope to provide you with enough to get by. And then I'm here to support you in any way I can. After that, I will put links to the website in the show description, but, um, or the episode description, I should say, but it is the miscarriage doula.co. You can also email me at the miscarriage doula at gmail.com. 
I also would love if you want to share your story, come on, schedule a time to chat with me. It's audio only. It's just a conversation. It's like whenever you hear these episodes, it's really, I prompt you to start sharing your story and the floor is yours. And then it's just an easy conversation. It's really your space. And I think it's really important for women to know that they have a place to go where they could have that space. And then you're also providing your story for others to hear. And that's really powerful. Um, But don't get me wrong. It is scary to share your story, and I'm very much aware of that. It took me a it took me some time to be comfortable with my voice out there and with my words being shared on a broader audience than a private Instagram account. So take your time, and whenever you're ready, I am here. There is a link to schedule a time with me in the show description again, um, or you can email me directly if you have reservations and you're just a little nervous and you want more information, please do not hesitate to reach out. Email, however, is the best way to reach me. Um, instead of DMs, DMs get really backed up. So please email me. Um, I genuinely appreciate your support as a listener to the show. Um, for those that join group sessions, for those that just, support in any way just by engaging on social media and things like that. It allows me the opportunity, one, to know the type of content I need to put out there and what is missing on top of what I already know is missing. Um, But it also allows me to be able to pay for these programs that I need to get this information out to you. So again, thank you. Um, I don't think I can say that enough. Well, let's get into today's episode. I am talking with Jackie, who is a fellow infertility and loss warrior in the community. We do really similar work, and I just love when I can connect with others over the shared desire to help women through this really messy season of life. Um, Jackie and I have followed each other on Instagram for quite some time and liked each other's posts here and there, but I didn't know the extent of the work that she did, nor did I know her full story. So I I selfishly really enjoyed this conversation just to get to know Jackie more. And it also showed me that Jackie and I have so much to talk about that I think she'll be back on again because it was too easy to talk to her. I had some topics in mind and it went above and beyond what I could have expected. Um, So let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Jackie about loss, grief, and life after. But with a blighted ovum, I, so my first pregnancy was never diagnosed a blighted ovum. It was actually really confusing, but my second pregnancy was, and I still just said I miscarried at seven weeks because that's how far along I should have been. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard really to put hard. a name to it. Yeah. Cause for mine, and again, I, I hated even saying the word because it just made it feel like it wasn't real then. And, but the pain was so hard. And so for mine, it was diagnosed at um, eight weeks and no, I'm sorry. It was diagnosed at five weeks. And then at 13 weeks, I couldn't take it anymore. And so I went in and was like, I need to figure out how to not feel pregnant anymore, knowing that there wasn't, you know, baby growing inside of me anymore. And so we, we did the medication and that was a nightmare in itself, but I just, that term was just so hard for me because we were so in love and I felt so much pain. And I was like, but that made it feel like 
you know, it didn't exist. And so that's why it's such a hard time. So when I saw your blighted ovum post, I was just like, oh, she put it out there. Like someone's actually mm-hmm. talking about this. And it meant so much to me. Just, I had a really hard time, even this far along, even this many years after, like just that term really bothered me. That's why I always say like, forget about labels because it really messed with my head and my emotions, just that term and that label, you know? Yeah. And, and the same with like chemical pregnancy. Oh. I think I've never even experienced a quote unquote chemical pregnancy and it still mm-hmm. drives me insane because that's just, it's an early miscarriage. It's a first trimester loss. That's what it is. And exactly. it's so like, I don't know, it's, it, it invalidates everything to name it, especially like a chemical pregnancy or a blighted ovum. So like, if you look up the definition of a blighted ovum, it makes it seem like the baby didn't exist, but that's not true. Right. Exactly. And, and I had done so much research on it, but in the way they just dismissed it as well, I think that mm-hmm. was so hard too. And that's how I feel chemical pregnancy. It's very dismissive and just can make somebody feel, cause my first one, my first two actually were, you know, termed chemical pregnancies. And I was like, does that even mean? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And doing all that research and trying to figure it out again, and that's when I just started hating labels because I'm like, it doesn't matter. Right. And then the, the question of how long were you, how far along were you? And I just said far enough to fall in love. That just became like my staple answer. Oh, because wow. I'm like that answer. Yeah. I'm like it that's doesn't matter way to answer that. It doesn't. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Well, Jackie, I would love if you gave like a little background of you yeah. know, who you are and let's kind of jump into your history with miscarriage and just kind of go from there. So if you want to introduce yourself and share what you do or absolutely go for it. (laughs) And thank you Arden so much for having me on here. So yeah, so I'm Jackie Figueres and I'm the founder of Jackie Figueres LLC. Um, So my journey started back in 2012 was when I had my very first miscarriage and then I'll go into a little bit more detail, but yeah, I was, I had four consecutive miscarriages and each of them were so different. And I had completely different experiences, different emotions. And of course, it just got more compounded after each one. And after my third one, which is what we we're talking about, the blinded ovum and having to figure out what to do at that point, because it was just my head was spinning and the symptoms of still feeling pregnant was just so hard. And, um, you know, figuring out if you're going to continue to do IUI. It was just every little thing, nothing was easy. Nothing was easy, right? As it is with infertility. And I just was so frustrated. So I'm also a nurse. And so a lot of people assume that I would have just like known everything. Like, what do you mean you didn't understand some of these terms? But when you're a nurse in pediatrics and oncology, you really don't understand a lot what's going on with infertility or mother baby. But I feel like there's a lot of those assumptions too. So then there was even more like shame, like I should have known better. So I really became extremely isolated and very high anxiety and just didn't have anybody around. Instagram was just starting to get a little bit bigger. At least I didn't know as much about it um, because this was, like I said, back in like 2012, 2013, 2015, 2016. So I feel like 2016 was when, you know, things were starting to get a little bit bigger on Instagram. So I didn't have a community at all. And then when we got pregnant with my twins, I ended up losing one of the twins at 13 weeks as well. And so it was just like, I felt like I just couldn't get a break and I had done a lot of mind body work, but I, again, this was all doing my own research and I had about six months postpartum was when I hit rock bottom and I had just such severe PTSD. And that's when I was like, all right, my life has to change. And that's when I started doing a ton of research. I pulled out all of my, you know, 
certification for being a coach and looked at all my coaching tools, started coaching myself (laughs) and like really just wanted to pull myself out of this darkness. But I had spent so many years on my own and so many years trying to figure it out that I thought there's got to be a better way. And so that's what's just really driven me to want to help other people to not go through what I did for nearly as long and just to not feel that shame and that guilt or just feel so lost and alone. So that's really what drives me. And now this many years later, I pulled in so much of my clinical knowledge and so much of my personal experience and my coaching experience. I just, it feeds my soul to be able to give back and help. So that's why I'm, I'm so happy to be on here and hope, I hope that I can just shed light on some of the struggles, some of the ways in which that can change. And then just inspiring other people that whether your end result is a baby or not, how you are as a human being is what ultimately matters in the end. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And I don't feel like that message, Mm -hmm. what you said about not having a baby being a possibility, Mm -hmm. not every miscarriage journey ends with a baby in their arms, not every infertility journey ends that way. And I don't think that message was really as prominent a few years ago, even. Um, I always felt like I could not try. Like, even though I had had the conversations of if it didn't happen, mm-hmm. I would be okay. But nobody ever said like, you know, you don't have to go through IVF if that was your next step. Like it's just always, so I think that that's such an important thing. And I always try to word when I'm talking to people, it's like, you know, I'll support you on your journey to get a baby if that's what you want. If you, yeah. you know, if you are unable to end your journey with a baby in your arms, I'll still support you. A baby doesn't mean you are any more worthy of support and love from other people. Exactly. And I agree with you that when you're in the thick of it, that's all you fixate on. That's what Mm -hmm. success means to you a lot of times, right? And that's what can be so hard is then just that feeling like a failure as well. And so that type A personality of, but I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything I can. Why is this not happening? And that's something else I think a lot of people struggle with is if you've always worked really hard to get what you want and it's usually panned out, then it's like, what am I not doing enough of, right? And then I have to keep trying and I have to keep doing these things. And I think that's what leads to so much of that exhaustion and then your hormones and just the overwhelmed and the burnout and all of that as well too, is the not realizing you have a choice to pause or take some time or to not move forward, right? To not mm-hmm. keep trying and but those are all just so difficult to even figure out, to even like figure out how to make those choices. Right. Right. Well, and then there's the age factor of being a woman. And it's like, once you turn 30, it seems like I hear women saying, well, like you only have a couple of years left until, mm-hmm. you know, you're at the age where we really should start worrying about it. And so then you have people who start trying when they're 33, 34, 35. And because mm-hmm. they struggle, they wish they had started earlier, but everybody told them you have plenty of time. So it's like, I just almost wish that we could stop putting like what's normal, like a label of what's normal or mm-hmm. like a time frame. because women are having babies in their forties. Like there's no, I try to remind people like, it's not, you're not like dying whenever you turn 40. Like it's going to be okay. <laughs> no, I'm 41. So please don't say that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I always use Eva Longoria as an example, but yeah. she had a baby, I think at like 42, mm-hmm. her first baby. Yeah. And um, I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. The labels really get to me and it's kind of like, um, I mean, I could, 
so you were talking about words before and like feeling like a failure and something that comes Mm -hmm. to mind is I always felt weird about like the terms. I don't think I ever use the hashtag, but it's like, um, IUI success or Mm -hmm. IVF success. And so it's the success part of those hashtags Mm -hmm. that kind of bother me because I feel like if somebody else did that same protocol and it didn't work out in a positive way, would that be IVF failure? So it's like the language is really important. And I kind of started to focus on it over the last year, I would say to where I kind of noticed how things can sound to other people. Mm -hmm. Like I used to tell people not to give up and it makes me sick to my stomach that I used to say things like that because that's not helpful. Yeah. It's hard. I think, you know, the message a lot of times can be like, don't give up hope is what we're trying to say when we say that, right? It's like, don't give up hope. But um, yeah, I learned a long time ago working with a couple of my close friends and everybody who just started reaching out to me because I became super public about it in 2018. That was like when I was really at a stage where I felt really strong. I had done so much work that I was like, I remember it was October and I did my first post of I'm one in four. And I remember like shaking because I was like, putting it out there on Facebook and going to announce it to everybody Um, because only a small, small group knew what I had gone through from, you know, 2012 to 2016. And so here I was two years later, like, and I, since then people started reaching out, but, you know, I started realizing how exhausted everybody was from trying over and over and over and over again. And I was like, well, you know, you can take a break. And just the deer in headlights, when I would say that was just like, what do you mean I can take a break? but I was supposed to do these three in a row, or I need to do this in a row, or I need to do this in a row. And so it was like so regimented that I'm like, but are you prepared to do that? And just even giving people that like, it's okay to take a pause. Like if you need to do that, that's the best thing for you to do. But there's so much fear around if I don't follow everything to this exact specific second, that then what am I going to feel later, right? And that just goes into that guilt and that uh, that pressure that is put on so many of us to do every single thing possible without thinking is this right for me totally um you mentioned so you had a twin pregnancy and you Mm -hmm. lost one of the twins at 13 weeks and it was the postpartum from that pregnancy where things just kind of hit a rock right that's yeah yeah so and and i mentioned that a lot because um it's so interesting that you said iui and ivi ivf success i just got a comment the other day because i posted Um, who I represent and I was representing all the struggles I went through and I did say I'm someone who fought hard for my miracle baby and they wrote the comment was essentially discrediting everything I had gone through because I ended up with the baby and that I was not inspiring that I was hurting others and I was just like oh that is the last thing that I ever wanted to do and I'm not saying that because I had a baby I was a success it was all the work I did before, during, and after that makes me feel really, really like that's where I can give back. And so I'm glad that you mentioned this because where I hit the lowest bottom was after I had my baby, ironically. That's so that my experiences as well. Like it yeah, didn't all come to a crashing, it, it, it just, it's almost like my grief. I thought I was feeling it all along, but then after having my rainbow, like everything just came to light. And it's like, that's where this was born. And it's like, I always had a passion for sharing and, and blogging, but like 
this was like a whole new level of wanting to help people. So I can totally relate with that. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I was so scared in the whole pregnancy. I had an emergency surgery at five weeks. Then one of the baby's hearts did stop beating at 13 weeks. And we were just like, oh, you know, is this child going to make it? And so I didn't realize I was developing like really severe PTSD. And so after my, my child was born, it was like, I couldn't sleep. I was so afraid she was going to die all the time. Um, I just remember the first time I had to leave my house, I was shaking because I was so scared to be away from her. And, you know, a lot of it, I just thought was regular hormones and regular postpartum and going back to work. And, you know, I'd look at all these people going back to work and I'm like, how do they seem so okay? Like I was so not okay, but trying so hard to fake it and pretend I was. And, um, you know, it's about six months in that one of my really dear friends said, I think there's more going on with you. And I was like, okay, because I feel like there is, but nobody would give me the permission that I felt I needed, that like I was really, because I was passing every test when I went to the doctors, right? Because mm-hmm. they were focusing more on depression and I didn't really have the postpartum depression, but I had really bad PTSD and postpartum anxiety, but the questionnaires weren't hitting that. So I was again being dismissed. And so that's something that, you know, when you, when you have your baby, it doesn't just magically make everything perfect. And that's not a message to like scare people, but just a message to let people know that that's why you do what you do. That's why I do what I do is to help people really start to manage their emotions before it gets to that level, before they start to really feel those emotions. So that way, when they decide to move forward and have a baby, they can enjoy it. Or if they decide not to, they can still be really happy and fulfilled with their life in other ways, right? Absolutely. And help prepare you. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause everyone just talks about the hormones and the delivery. No one talks about like, about what we're talking about right now about, well, you're at a higher risk when you go through hormone treatments as well. Right. You're at a higher risk when you've had miscarriages because you have a heightened fear and anxiety that you may or may not have addressed yet. And so all those things just get compounded and then you throw in another human being and you're like, now what do I do? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, did you mention six months postpartum was whenever Mm -hmm. that's about the time, like I I relate so hard to you because I think I definitely was struggling before six months, Mm -hmm. but it was around the six month mark that I was like, okay, this is not just you had a baby and you're terrified, like Mm -hmm. something is not okay. And you need to ask for help. And I remember sending a portal message to my OB, my primary Mm -hmm. doctor and my therapist. Like, I don't know who needs to help me, but like Mm -hmm. somebody needs to get back in touch with me today because I am just not okay. And that was both freeing and embarrassing, but Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's hard. And I, I think that I always thought that the journey to motherhood would be the hard part but it's motherhood after the journey. Like it's the journey doesn't leave you. It just like piles on and it's so hard. And even after that, um, the guilt of then, are you able to have another child? Right. So it just, it's always a part of you. There's always going to be triggers for me. Twins were my triggers for so long seeing twins. And I had so many friends that had twins because so many of my friends ended up going on and doing IVF or it just happened to be in their family. And Um, So it was really, really difficult. So, you know, even when you think you've got a handle on everything, there can always be these triggers that smack you. And that's why I think it's so, again, important to figure out what are your triggers, figure out to say no to what you can say no to. You know, I I have several women that I'm talking to right now who are labor and delivery nurses who are miscarrying right now. 
And so they're like, I want to quit my job. How do I quit my job? Right? Because I have to go into work every day and take care of women having babies and just how difficult and how triggering that is. And so trying to figure out how to help guide them and not to make a decision out of emotion, make sure that that decision is, is the, you know, truly what's going to be the best decision for them is so difficult because you're literally putting yourself into the most triggering situation you possibly can day in and day out. And so how do you handle that when your grief is so heavy and you don't necessarily have a huge support system around you, right? I mean, that is so difficult. Yeah, I have a, I have a good friend who's a labor and delivery nurse and she went through a miscarriage at 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ultimately had a different position that she could do with her degree and her experience. And that was better for her because it's hard, even though she went on to have another child, like that will always be the hospital where she had her DNC and then she went Mm -hmm. every day to work and then she watched good outcomes, bad outcomes. I think that's one of the hardest jobs. Um, And I didn't fully understand what labor and delivery nurses did until I had a baby. And then I was like, you guys are so underpaid. <laughs> you guys work really hard. <laughs> Nurses, but, you know, I will like, definitely uh, say yay to that, to being a nurse for no, 20 years. They so. <laughs> do. Well, and you mentioned, you know, with being a nurse, people expecting you to know, like my friend that was a labor and delivery nurse, she had no idea about any of the fertility stuff that I was talking about. Like mm-hmm. she knew how to help birth babies, but like making a baby she still didn't learn that stuff like yeah. it's almost a disservice to women to like not just teach us how our bodies work instead of mm-hmm. pumping us with hormones to stop our body from working yeah no we were just having a huge conversation about this that and you know when you're in school instead of learning about abstinence and safe sex they should also add in a reproductive um class about that so that you can really learn about your body as a female when you're in your teens so that you can make those decisions as you get into your 20s and your 30s and just have so much more understanding of how your body and your hormones actually work because it's not really taught. I mean, like I said, I went to nursing school and I have my master's and none of that was ever taught in detail, right? So even when you go into a specialty like that, you don't really learn about infertility unless you're in the infertility world. And so you know, everybody is kind of going in blind unless that is what you do every day. And so how can we help improve the knowledge of women about their bodies and men about their bodies too, right? It's just as important. So um, yeah, so let's go on a mission and we can (laughs) make some changes on that as well (laughs) and start educating people so that they are not blindsided and and have just so much more knowledge upfront. I think, gosh, you know, looking back, to my first and second miscarriage and just not understanding how to care for myself, not being provided any sort of handout or just anything of like, here's what you're going to feel emotionally for the next two to three months, get ready. And oh, by the way, your body is going to go through a whole lot of hell too, that no one talks about, but you know, that would be really so much more helpful to have all that information, which I know you know, it exists now thanks to people like you and me, but it, you know, readily available in a doctor's office. Imagine if you had that. I mean, I don't know, were you ever given anything or, or real specific details? No, um, I, have, I have a male fertility doctor mm-hmm. and um, he told me it would be a really bad day taking Cytotech and mm-hmm. just a plan to be at home, maybe to get some pads. Um, 
I did ask, like I specifically asked, so is it going to come out in little pieces or is Mm -hmm. it going to be like, am I giving birth to a fetus? I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no pretty way to word that. Um, And so he did prepare me that there are like two sacks that come out in this carriage. And so he said, they're usually intact. And so I'm glad I asked that question because he would have never told me. And then whenever I birthed that, I would have thought I was dying. Yes. It's, oh my gosh. So my friend Robin and I both have used that word when, because we, I had side attack. She had a different type of miscarriage, but we have said through a different medication, but we've said, it really feels like you're dying. And nobody prepares you for that. Like I remember my husband literally picking me up and carrying me because there was so, for me, there was so much blood and it was like, I was getting so weak. And he's like, do we need, he's a nurse as well. And he's like, do we need to take you to the hospital? I was like, I do not want to be doing this in a hospital. Like, you know, I don't want to be on the hospital floor, but um, you know, we didn't ask those questions. And again, there was so much assumption with us and oh my gosh. And that isn't talked about hardly at all, right? Even you just talking about coming out in pieces or whatnot, or is it going to be a fetus? And, uh, you know, people don't talk about the messy part of it either. And I think the more like, gosh, if somebody like you at least asked the question, I didn't even know like exactly what was going to happen. You know, the same thing. He's like, you're going to feel oh, some extra cramps and some extra bleeding for a day. <laughs> like, <gasps> so that was so far from the truth from my experience, but yeah, I just, yeah. I, I just, um, and I'm on just so much want to prepare people not to scare them, but just to help prepare people and to take pain meds and to just be so much more empowered to ask those questions, even know what to ask, right? What are the questions you should ask? And so, you know, I think that's why I've really, I've, I've read some of your posts and I've really connected with you as well too, because we have had some similarities and I, I love your vulnerability and just your bravery and able to share all of your experience as well has made me braver with some of the things too. I've always been the person who talks about things people don't talk about, but I've definitely gotten messier and a little bit more clinical over the past year, um, just trying to put all that stigma away. You know, it's hard enough to talk about miscarriage, but then you talk about what's actually physically happening and people kind of cringe when you start talking about that too. And it's like, but if you're going through it, it's really scary. And so I really want to you know, help take away some of that fear too, by just knowing and being more prepared. Yeah. And I, I've had a friend that I've met in the community. She told me, I did her podcast once and she said to me, um, she said something along the lines of like, you've always been able to say what's on your mind. Like you don't hold back. She's like, it makes me uncomfortable, but like in a good way, (laughs) That's a nice compliment. This has never, I don't, I've never felt like I needed to put a filter on it. And um, I was in a clubhouse room the other day and somebody asked what the moment was that I just decided to be like, I had a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and it was right after my first miscarriage that I felt so ashamed that I literally gave birth in my bathroom and there was Mm -hmm. everywhere. And it was such a surreal experience to where whenever I kept thinking back, like I would cringe that I had just gone through that. And I thought like, I, I'm not going to be quiet about this because something happened to me. Like I'm no longer ever going to be the person that I was three days ago before this happened. And people need to know why I'm different. They need to know why I'm more sensitive. They need to know why I don't take shit anymore. Like they Mm -hmm. need to know why I'm different when they talk to me next. And so that's why I I put like a face to my account and then I've just 
was like, <laughs> I wrote about it on my blog in very big detail. And yeah. I remember I had a friend call me and ask me, um, cause she was also miscarrying, but she had a DNC. Mm. And so a friend, a friend of, a friend and I were miscarrying at the same time. Um, and she wanted to know if she made the right decision with the DNC. So she asked me the size, you know, of the, of the fetus that came out. And mm-hmm. I told her, I was like, it's a, it was at least a lemon size blood clot. And she said, really? Mm-hmm. And I remember like thinking that I was being generous by saying lemon size. And she was like freaking out that I said yeah. it. Um, and nobody talks. I wish somebody would have told me that was the size to expect because even though I expected blood and I expected right. something to come out, it, I remember it like stunning me for a second, mm-hmm. like staring at it, thinking like, what do I do? Absolutely. Nobody tells I you that. So relate to that. And um, I had a friend who was miscarrying as well. And I remember I was like, are you are you having a really hard time going to the bathroom? And she's like, yeah, I pretty much stopped drinking to avoid going to the bathroom. And I remember that too. Like, it's just so hard because every time you go to the bathroom, it's just the reminder that you're losing your baby. And, um, you know, I talk about that a lot too, how when you're in your home, yes, you get the comfort of your home, but then you also get the trauma of your, of that happening in your home. And then Mm -hmm. going into those areas or those rooms again, like, how do you address that and how do you overcome that and how are you not traumatized every time you go into that specific bathroom for you know however long after and I mean it's just there's so much that goes into it that again like like we've mentioned a million times but just isn't talked about enough and again having platforms like this are so important and having people that just reach out and start to build that trust is amazing and just really helping people not feel so alone is yeah. just one of the most incredible, incredible experiences as to why I know you share and why I share is just so if there's one person who's like, oh my gosh, okay, yeah, that should happen to me. Okay, like I can I can talk about it too, just like you did with the blinded open post. I was like, okay, I can I can talk about that. And that that was really hard for me because it really made me feel like I didn't have a baby, which again, as we know is not true, but it's just such a dismissive term. And So I just, I really hope that we can continue to change that and have people start talking about more of the messy stuff. And my goal is ultimately change healthcare one day. (laughs) I want it to be be (laughs) educate all the providers, say this is what they're going to expect, you know, Um, it just, it's all of healthcare. I work in healthcare, so I know that we can always do better with patient education, but um, it's just, it's just so crazy to me that something that is so difficult on your body is just not explained well at all. And I, so I reached out to, with my second miscarriage, I took thyroid mm-hmm. tech. I had to go to the hospital because I honestly thought like, okay, now I'm losing more blood than I mm-hmm. lost with my first one. And I felt like a little, like a weak. And I just, mm-hmm. I've worked in healthcare before. So I know the signs of like, okay, this mm-hmm. might not be a good sign. Um, so I had my husband drive me to the ER and nobody knew what to do. It's like nobody heard me whenever I told them the size mm-hmm. of the blood clots. And um, and I actually have a post scheduled that I've written 
like I'm so terrified to post it. Maybe it'll be posted by the time this is aired, but <laughs> it's a photo that my husband took of me laying in the hospital bed that I didn't know he took until maybe a few weeks ago. And it's like in the photo, I look like I'm sleeping, but all I can remember is feeling like, okay, there's blood all over my clothes, waiting six hours for an OB resident to come. It's like those memories are what come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you said about like at home, so we're also thinking of moving and that has been a goal of mine for the last three years because my bathroom is so triggering for me mm-hmm. um, even three years later like starting my period if I have a heavy flow and any blood falls on the floor it's like for a second I have to remind myself that I'm not miscarrying and so I think mm-hmm. that people think time heals all wounds and time and therapy helps but like unfortunately it's always going to be a part of us yeah I 100% agree. There's definitely a way to manage it and to not let it pull you back into a deep darkness, but it's always a part of you. And I, you know, I, I'm so impressed with how you very early on in your first miscarriage, when you came forward and started talking about that, you realized you were never going to be the same person. That's probably the number one comment people make. And I, I used to make it too, like, gosh, I just want to go back to being who I was before. And then I started hearing, yeah, the phrase that I started saying was, but I'm constantly evolving as a human being. And so all of my miscarriages and everything I went through is evolving me into the person I am today. So while I would love to not have all of those experiences happen, they have also helped shape me who I am today. I won't be this person who says I'm grateful for that. Hell no, am I grateful for that? But I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I've evolved into the person I am today. And, you know, I won't ever be that person again. Absolutely not. There's no way that you can, as you mentioned too. Um, But I'm just, I'm so impressed that you were able to come to that realization so early on. I think a lot of people, myself included early on, was holding on to so much of this real carefree adventure, just like so crazy into life. And then it was like smack, you know, just such a crazy thing. And working in a pediatric ICU, and my husband also worked in a pediatric ICU, we were like, gosh, you know, we have saved so many people's lives and we almost had, and this is kind of hard to admit, we almost had this feeling like, gosh, haven't we done a lot in our lives already? You know, and it's hard to even like have those thoughts and those feelings, but they come across where you're like, what did I do? Right? Because you start to have that. And, you know, looking back now, those are crazy thoughts, but those are some of the thoughts that you have when you're going through. And it's like, what did I do? And I've saved so many babies' lives. Why can't we save our own? you know? Yeah, totally. Well, it's also like, you know, people think like good things happen to good people. And it's like, I've been good people. Why are bad things happening to me? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's not a weird thing to think at all. I think that's a totally valid Mm -hmm. thing. And and I, so I am really good at wording how I feel. And like, like saying whenever I asked for help, like I'm able to give a percentage of like, I feel 80% better today than I did yesterday or mm-hmm. something like that. And so my therapist always tells me because people assume that because I'm able to put it into words or that I can talk about it without crying, that I'm right. like super strong, like nothing breaks me. Um, but it's just that I have that as like, I'm just self-aware, but I'm still just mm-hmm. as broken and hurt as anybody else um but I've always been able to say like confidently like today I'm anxious or I've I mean I've flat Mm -hmm. out said to my husband like I think I'm depressed like something isn't right and I need help and so I've always been able to word that and it's 
both a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. I also don't think that I always say it in like the most appropriate situations. Um, especially with miscarriage, I remember um, we had we went to a wedding and a guy asked us when we were gonna have kids. And I was literally still bleeding from my second miscarriage, mm. and I said, I said, actually, I'm wearing an adult diaper because I just had two miscarriages in three months. Like, I probably made it really uncomfortable, but for me, that's what I needed to do in that moment. Like, don't ask personal mm. questions. Right. <laughs> Be prepared for the answer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, and and I talk about that a lot too. I actually wrote a post on insensitive comments, right? And how do you handle them? And so, so much of it is being self-aware, what triggers you, what comments can you handle, you know, having that plan ahead of time. And, and some people who do want to say F it to somebody, right? I mean, then that's your plan and that's what you feel comfortable doing, then, then so be it. But if that's not who you want to be genuinely, then, you know, how do you figure out what to say? Um, and like I said, so my, my big thing, one of my biggest triggers was that how far along were you? I just would like want to punch people in the face. I was just like, why? matter. And then I came, like I said, I came up with that statement because that made me feel okay. And that made me feel good. And people didn't know what to say back to it. They were like, wow, okay, that makes sense. And then it just kind of went on from there. But, um, you know, that was one of the first statements I started saying out loud. That was my like big, I'm going to start coming out and saying it more, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's such a challenge and there's so many things that trigger you and so many things that are difficult to go through. And so really that self-awareness I think is so key to figure out what you can handle, what you can't handle, what are you going to subject yourself to, what can you say no to, and you know, just all those different, all those different things that as you're going through it, you know, for me, the first time, the second time, the third time, <laughs> it was just like, okay, by the third time, I definitely had a much different filter than the first two times. You know, it's like I you definitely get into a little bit more of that anger stage at times too, right? Oh, so. yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Um, I have a friend in this community who's had three miscarriages and, and whenever she had that third pregnancy, mm-hmm. you know, we just kept thinking like she's had two miscarriages. She had testing, like nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. This pregnancy is going to be the one. And then when she lost that pregnancy, I just told her, I was like, it's okay just to be really angry right now mm-hmm. because this sucks. Like, this is unfair. This sucks. This should not be happening. Mm -hmm. And there's no, everything happens for a reason. There's Ah. none of that. Like, this just plain sucks and live Mm -hmm. in it for a while. Like, let yourself just grieve. And I think that that's like the hard thing, too, that people don't want to hear. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you find this that people, when people come to you for coaching, it's like they want an answer. They want to know how Mm -hmm. to fix it right now. And so I always tell people, I'm like, you're not going to like this answer, but it, you, two things, can't fix it right now. And it's also never going to go away. We right. just have to learn how to live in the new normal. And we need to learn how to coax it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis and need to learn how to not let us, not let it like make us feel like we're drowning in grief constantly. And I mm-hmm. wish somebody would have told me that three years ago, because I thought that once I got pregnant, it would all go away and be totally fine. Absolutely. And that's not true. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, my third one as well. I, that was my, that was my lowest, darkest point. It wasn't when I like hit rock bottom, but it was my lowest. Like when I went into a real dark place, it was right around the holidays. We didn't even want to celebrate the holidays. We were like, we didn't decorate. We actually had a friend who came and put decoration lights outside for the holidays for us, which was so nice because we were just like, 
my husband was really ill at the time. So when I was having my third miscarriage and still bleeding from the medication and like still feeling faint, he also was getting really ill. We thought he had bronchitis and pneumonia. I ended up having to drive him to the ED. He got admitted. I'm running around the hospital while he's on a gurney and I'm like trying to hold back tears of like, I need my own wheelchair and I need my own gurney and I'm really weak. And oh, it was just like such a horrible time. And so I didn't get the chance to even hardly grieve that whole insane process because I was so worried about him being in the hospital, not being able to breathe. And then, oh my gosh, so he was so sick. So those like two to three months were just, just such a horrible, horrible time. And just trying to figure out, you know, wow, I am not in a good place. And I didn't grieve the first two babies very well, right? I, I just tried to keep going. And the second one was really hard. But the third one, I think, as you were talking about with your friend, because I had gone to reproductive endocrinologist, I had done the Clomid, gone to reproductive endocrinologist, did everything for six months, did everything that I was supposed to do, did every medication, was doing heparin injections twice a day. I mean, you name it, I was doing. And I, if I had my target heart rate was supposed to be here, I did it, right? You have this many grams of protein, this many carbs. So I was the A++. And so when you know, that baby ended up not growing. And we were just like, so frustrated because I had done everything, everything at that point. And that's when we were deciding if we were even going to try again, because I was like, I just put my all into it and it still didn't work, you know? And that was just so painful and so frustrating. And I think, you know, that's why that comment of, well, you're not inspiring because you ended up having a baby really hurt just because it's like, well, I went through a lot and there was never a guarantee. And so, you know, for anybody out here who's subjecting themselves to that willingly, right? When you yeah. know that you have the potential to have another miscarriage, but you still are trying so desperately, I don't think you can never negate what somebody is feeling or going through during those moments. And you never know what the outcome is going to be, right? That, I mean, that comment would hurt me so bad. Instagram <laughs> comments really get to me. I had somebody tell me that my page has no meaning anymore. And I think mm. I cried for like oh multiple days because I was like, that's the meanest thing you could say to somebody who's like, just openly sharing their journey. You don't right. have to be here. Right. Like, if I don't inspire you, that's fine. I'm just right. sharing to raise awareness. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. and it's for not me, that I'm telling you this is how your life can turn out. It's just that like, mm. this is one avenue it could take or if your journey looks mm -hmm. a lot like mine this is one way this is how I got through it or like, people mm -hmm. are so mean well I think um people are in different parts of their own grief right, right. and so so I didn't take that one super personally for me per se um I think that comes with being an oncology nurse and we get lashed out at so many times because they're in so much pain themselves that you start to kind of get that barrier but to me right, right. what was frustrating was the fact that I openly discuss which is hard in this community it's hard to talk about the fact that you do have a baby because you don't want to ever hurt somebody or trigger somebody right I think that's such right. a, a you know it's even been like on this call I'm like oh my gosh I, I mentioned my baby quite a few times but I mentioned that just to reemphasize the fact that it wasn't just this miraculous poof, everything was great then. My pregnancy was tough right. because I, you know, I went through a lot during the pregnancy even and was so worried that she wasn't going to make it. And then afterwards, I think she was going to die every time. And so it's just to shed that light on the fact that that isn't the, that isn't the end goal. That isn't the end thing that's going to fix everything. And, and as we talk about, you know, it's you as a human being, you and everything you've gone through and you being self-aware and you learning to love yourself and you learning to forgive yourself. 
that that doesn't right. just come because now you're finally holding a baby. It definitely creates a different set of emotions, but it doesn't make all the other ones just magically go away. And so, right. you know, whenever I mention that in my life, it's in the hopes to shed light on how important it is to take that time for yourself now. Because if you don't, at some point, it's going to affect you. At one point in your life, it's going to creep up on you. So the sooner that you can start to, to acknowledge that and to accept that, like, I do need help or, gosh, this is really freaking hard and it's okay to say that, that's just what starts to change your life so significantly. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Well, Jackie, we've already been talking for 45 oh, minutes. Gosh. I feel like we've been talking forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, um, I, I definitely would love to have you back anytime just to talk about grief and, and validating and life after. I mean, I think this is such an important conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. There's so much yeah. to be said about it. Um, so I, I appreciate your time so much. I really could keep this going forever. Absolutely. But I'm, yes, I'm so sorry. I didn't even the 45 minutes. Yeah, well, I feel like I said we could talk for hours. We just have so much um, that's relatable to, and our passions yeah. are so aligned as well. So not only our journeys, but also what we're wanting to do. So like I said, I'm so glad to have met you. I've been following you as well. And so this is great to be able to connect and, and you know, see how we can help others too. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell people where they can find you and what types of services you offer and, and your coaching okay. and stuff. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So Jackie Figueres, so I know you'll put the link in because my name isn't the easiest to spell, but everything is at Jackie Figueres so on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, my website is also JackieFigueres.com. Um, I just actually um, relaunched a new online program called the Miscarriage Roadmap to Recovery. So it's eight to 10 weeks walking women through a lot of things that we talked about today. So, you know, self-acceptance, grieving, um, being able to make decisions, um, being able to provide self-compassion, which is something we didn't talk a whole lot about, but that's something that I really stress on. And then how to move forward with whatever your decision as you and I've talked about, right? So whether it's deciding to enjoy your life as a, as a family with, you know, maybe just fur babies, or if you're going to continue to try again, um, but just really having that strength and that courage and what that looks like moving forward. And then also um, different re- free resources as well on my site. So um, but again, thank you so much for having me on here. You've definitely been an inspiration to me as well. And so thank you so much for what you do and how vulnerable you are and just setting the stage for so many of us.